All right. Welcome to church on this fine Palm Sunday. Good times. All right. You guys excited to celebrate Easter next week? I am, man. Talking about the road to hope. This week we're talking about the prelude to the road to hope. And we're going to talk about the, the week before, the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to explore that today. You know, the other uh, night, this is just my world. This is just the world I live in. I, uh, I drove to the hardware store, hardware store to purchase something really small. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that I did not get what I drove there to get because I forgot what I went there for. And um, when I got out into the parking lot, here's what I posted on Facebook later. I just want to put it up. The next time you take your wife's van to Lowe's, remember that you did so that you don't wander around for 20 minutes in the parking lot looking for your car. Was this close to calling 911 to report my car stolen? I am notoriously spacey. I just am. I own that. The point is, is that I was in a familiar place, a place I've been to 100 times before, 200 times. But I was looking for the wrong thing. And today we are going to look at a passage in Matthew 21 that shows us the nation of Israel. They're in a familiar place. And that familiar place is uh, they are now in subservience to another nation, another foreign nation. They've been here before. And they're looking for the wrong thing. They are just looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. And this is the source of the conflict that happens on Palm Sunday that leads eventually to Jesus' death and his resurrection. This, uh, let me kind of explain what kind of environment existed the week before Jesus was crucified and raised on Easter morning. It was a time of national upheaval. Revolution was in the air. Political parties were terminally at odds. Does that sound familiar? No one could get along. The political classes also exist to enrich themselves on the backs of the common folks. That doesn't sound familiar either, does it? It was a time of fear. People feared losing their homes and their property and their livelihoods to the whims of some unworthy despot. They called him Caesar. If he didn't get them through taxing them to death, he'd find some way to get them, to keep them down. It was also a time of great expectation. But there were lots of ideas about who the new king of Israel was going to be, who this new Messiah, that word means the anointed king, who he was going to be. Some thought, man, he's going to be like a super priest in the line of Aaron. And others thought, man, he's going to be uh, more like a, uh, uh, you know, a prophet like Moses, wielding his staff and giving us new commandment tablets. Whack. Or maybe he's going to be a, a Davidic king, a king like David, who routs his opponents with the sword, that actually became the dominant view in Jesus' day. Lots of ideas, speculation about who that would be. It was a time of speculation. They believed they could do the math. They read Daniel chapter 9. Most Jews believed in the first century that Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 would be fulfilled in their lifetime because that's the 70 weeks prophecy of Daniel. And basically, the math goes like this. From the issuing of Cyrus's decree for the people to return from Babylon... To the coming ruler, that final ruler of Israel, the one who would eternally rule the nation and the nations, would be 490 years. And they were living 490 years later. 
So everyone was looking. Everybody's antenna was up. Messianic fervor and expectation was very high, all-time high, because everyone was speculating about who this Messiah, this new king, was going to be. They got some things right, but they also were in a familiar place looking for the wrong kind of Messiah. They were looking for a sword, and they needed a shepherd's staff. They were looking for political liberation, but they were still in captive, in captivity to their sin, and they didn't know it. They were so lost in their sin that they could not hear Jesus' message of repentance from sin and confession and faith. So they created a savior after their own image. They created a savior who fit their cultural needs. Matthew 21, if you want to turn there, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 21 So we get to this chapter, it's Palm Sunday, and Jesus has arrived in town, and it isn't exactly a welcoming party. I mean, it is. The crowds are hailing him with palm leaves. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. Yeah, Jesus is awesome. We think he's going to be the one to rout the Romans. So he comes into town, and then he confronts all of their false visions for Messiah, and here's where it ends. Here's where it ends. He says... Then Jesus explained his meaning. In other words, you're wrong, I'm right. Here's what he explained it. I tell you the truth in Matthew 21. Corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way. But you didn't believe him. While tax collectors and prostitutes, swindlers, crooks, thieves, IRS agents. It's tax season. And harlots, the worst of the worst, they did believe John's message when he pointed to me. And they did repent, and they're coming into the kingdom before you, Jesus says. And when you saw this happening, you refused to believe and repent. Underline that. You refused to believe and repent. The path to Jesus is always belief in Jesus, faith in Jesus, and repentance. No other Savior will do. No other system is going to cut it. The people missed it. And the people who opposed Jesus right there, who led him to his cross a few chapters later, they didn't think they needed to repent. They didn't think they needed to repent, and they didn't think they needed to follow him and follow his teachings because they didn't want a sacrificial lamb. Now, it's human nature for us to just kind of recreate God or recreate the Savior in our own image, isn't it? We we do that Easily. This is why in America we do this too, don't we? How about all the movie Jesuses? What's up with that? I know, exactly. What's up with the movie Jesuses? The guys who have these long flowing locks of hair. They all look like me and they're compl- they're puckishly white. You know, they're just blue eyes, six feet two. And they look like the idealized European man from the Middle Ages who speaks with an Elizabethan accent. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy burdened. (laughs) What? That, instead of the darker-skinned Semite with thick tufts of curly black hair and dark brown eyes who spoke in a thick country Aramaic accent. That's the Jesus we know that lived in the first century. So we tend to project onto Jesus our expectations or our desires or our wants, what we want him to look like and what we want him to be like. And there are some false Jesuses in our American culture, and I kind of want to unpack them today. The first one I will call 
Uh, number one on your outline, if you're following along, I will call this one the flannel graph Jesus. What's that? How many of you guys grew up in like Sunday school or in church where, okay, very few of you. That's actually good news for us. We're glad that the rest of you didn't. But for those of you who grew up in Sunday school or some kind of children's church program, you remember the flannel graph, right? And it was this little, <laughs> some of you are laughing. It is, you have flannel graph trauma, I can see. <laughs> but it was this little board uh, with this felt pad on the front, and you stuck these little c- cutouts uh, made of uh, felt, and you stuck them on the board, and you could teach the kids the lesson and say, oh, see, Jesus carries the little lamb, you know. The flannel graph Jesus is a two-dimensional Jesus we learn about in Sunday School or Children's Church, but he never, ever becomes real to us. He never becomes personal Jesus. He remains an interesting cartoon character who never quite steps out of the 3D high-def or steps into our 3D high-def ADHD worlds. This Jesus is the subject of some very inspiring stories about a God-man who walked on water, but he doesn't walk through our trials And he doesn't walk with us through the stuff of life, does he? And he doesn't help us navigate all the matted undergrowth of our modern world. The flannel graph Jesus never quite steps off the page into our modern reality. He just remains a nice story for kids in Sunday school, in Adventureland. But Jesus said this to his disciples. Check it out. I am with you until the end of the world I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you until the very end of the age. And then he fulfilled that promise in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost where he sent the Holy Spirit, that mighty rushing wind that we sang about this morning, sent it on the day, the Feast of Pentecost, sent it into their worlds and into their lives. And that mighty rushing wind filled every believer. And he still fills us today. And Jesus will never leave us and never forsake us. He isn't just some nice kid's story in Adventureland. The second kind of Jesus that I see in our culture, though, is, is this one's weird. But I call this one, number two, Lollapa Jesus. <laughs> and of course, I ripped this off from the rock hippie fest known as Lollapalooza. <laughs> but Lollapa Jesus is the first century proto-hippie. He's a first century hippie who just wants us all to get along in the name of love and peace, dude. Yeah, ha ha. <laughs> Lollapa Jesus wears his hippie robe, his organic hemp sandals. You can find him in a deep existential discussion in a coffee shop somewhere in Portland. And he quips on and on about the golden rule. And he quips on about treating everyone with dignity and respect, dude. Yeah, ha ha. (laughs) He's the postmodern Jesus. He's the Jesus who is tolerant of every conceivable viewpoint. And that Jesus doesn't exist. He's a figment of someone's imagination. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, if you want to get to God, you got to have me. If you don't have me, you ain't getting to God. Well, that's the redneck version, sorry. (laughs) It's the Duck Dynasty version. (laughs) Jesus was the standard bearer of truth. 
And Jesus says, everyone who is disagreeing with me is wrong. And that is what Matthew 21 is all about. He gets into town and he says, all of your visions of Messiah are basically wrong. Because the Messiah is not going to meet your expectations, at least in some ways. But he's the truth. The third kind of Jesus I see in our culture is one that I call, I have no other name for it except for my fairy God Jesus. That's number three. My fairy God Jesus is the magical Jesus who responds on cue to our prayer and faith formulas. Uh, Have you seen this one? This version of Jesus lives to indulge our every want and Americanized hedonistic desire. And all we have to do with this Jesus, you want him to work for you? Want this Jesus to work for you? All you have to do is punch in the right code. All you have to do is find the right prophetic cryptogram. All you have to do is find the right code, and just like a heavenly vending machine, you hit A7 and out popped your magical blessing from fairy God Jesus. But if you've reduced Jesus to a code that needs to be hacked in order for you to get an endless stream of blessings, you got the wrong Jesus. That Jesus doesn't exist. He's just a fairy tale. Jesus said this. Listen why this is relevant. He said, he taught the disciples to pray, Our Father who who art in heaven, hallowed be your, your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. When he gets to the garden of Gethsemane, what does he pray? Not my will be done. That is the will of my flesh who would like to get out of this crucifixion thing. But your will be done. What was God's will? God's will was for him to suffer, to enter our suffering in a horrific way And then it's God's will for us to participate in his sufferings. This is why Paul prayed in Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to join the fellowship of his sufferings. Who's the fellowship of the sufferings? You and me. It's not a fellowship of just one endless stream of blessings after another. It's a fellowship of suffering. What is God's will for your life? God's will for you, your life is for you to follow Jesus, the suffering servant. But fairy God Jesus doesn't exist either. What about number four? This is my favorite one. I love this Jesus, but he doesn't exist either. Professor Jesus, PhD. Well, obviously I like this Jesus. But this Jesus only lives to fill our heads with historical knowledge about the background world of the Gospels, right? He wants to fill, he wants to pack your head full of knowledge. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with knowledge. Knowledge growth is godly and it's good for you, you should. But, but this Jesus only wants you to graduate from his program magna cum laude with honors. This Jesus uh, wants you to know all the interesting facts and details about history. His only goal is really to create studious and thought-burdened disciples who argue about pre, mid, or post or some other theological issue. But he doesn't really exist either. God wants you to know stuff. God wants you to grow and, and know more. That's why one of the reasons why you're here this morning. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus says, the wise man in Matthew 7 puts my teachings into practice. The fool builds his life on shifting sand. But the wise man builds his life on my teachings. He applies them to his life. 
And so Jesus doesn't just want to fill your head with knowledge. He wants to take your knowledge and transform it into application, life application. Until you have done that, you have not met even the threshold of being a disciple. Number five, this one's going to be weird, okay? Let me explain this. Number five is the Old Testament Jesus. Well, what do I mean by the Old Testament Jesus? I'm using this in a more um, pejorative sense, in a cultural sense. And it sounds strange because Jesus actually is the, God, the same God from the Old Testament. The New Testament makes that pretty clear. However, we tend to view Jesus through the lenses of the Old Testament. Instead, what we need to do is view the Old Testament through the lenses of Jesus. Let me explain that. Jesus is not some harsh, strict, priggish schoolmarm who's got a list, a running list on you. That's not him. You step out of line with this Old Testament Jesus. You fail to follow his demanding, exacting, fastidious laws and standards. You will rue the day because he will flood your basement tomorrow. (laughs) He will make you lose your job. He will teach you. He'll make your kids sick. He'll show you what's what if you cross this, Jesus. He'll punish you. That's how he teaches you. He, he punishes you. Many people still believe in this Jesus of retribution. This Jesus who's out to get you. This Jesus who's keeping a running tab, a running checklist on you. And it's very natural for us to project that false Jesus onto Jesus, isn't it? It's very natural. In fact, I want to show you an illustration of this. My little boy a six-year-old little boy brought me what he calls Logan's point chart. I don't know if you could see that. It's kind of hard to see. But this is a graph, a chart that he made for all of us. When we, when we get it right, we get a plus, And when we get it wrong, we get a minus. <laughs> now, you'll notice at the bottom, I don't have nearly as many minuses as his older brother Tyler at the top. Look how many minuses that guy has. In fact, that was two weeks ago. I'm pretty sure Tyler's minus column is full. And this is just kind of how we envision Jesus too, or envision God. He's got a chart. He's checking off minuses for every bad thing we do and putting plus marks for our good deeds. At the end of our lives, we hope the balance sheet comes out in our favor. We hope we've racked up enough points with God to merit his favor, his grace. This is a false God. This is a false Jesus because Jesus didn't come to do that. He's not waiting to punish you with apocalyptic plagues frogs and warts and cancer. The Jesus of the New Testament came to set you free. He came to deliver, he came to, uh, to give us the year of the Lord's favor. Have you ever found yourself asking this? How did I deserve this? How did I deserve this? You see how we operate? Or maybe you've asked yourself this. How did I deserve this? You can ask it in both ways. But your life is not the sum total of all your good works and then all the blessings that God brings into your life because you meet some objective standard. No. Jesus came in Luke chapter 4 to declare the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee is the year of setting them free. Here's what Jesus said. He said, come, all, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Who was he talking to? Who was he talking to? He was talking to Jews. 
He was talking to Jews who went to synagogue every weekend. He was talking to Jews who were Torah observant. He was talking to good religious people. He wasn't talking necessarily to sinners, though they all were sinners. He was talking to the people who were kind of getting it right. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. But he was talking to the religious saying, this is not the year of more religion. This is the year, Luke chapter 4, of jubilee. You are set free. It's the year of God's favor. It is the epoch of grace. That's what we're in. And so you need to stop looking at Jesus through the lenses of the Old Testament. And you need to start looking at the Old Testament through the lenses of the cross. Through the lenses of Jesus. There are lots of false Jesuses out there today. Like the people did in the first century, these are simply projections of our wants and desires and needs. But the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the New Testament, this Jesus who was suspended between heaven and earth on a rugged cross, that Jesus was something very different than our projections. He wasn't a magician or a shaman, and he's not your personal wish granter. He wasn't a two-dimensional cardboard cutout who never enters our reality. He wasn't a professor at a Christian university who only wants you to graduate with honors from his program. Nor was he the Old Testament, nor was he waiting to go Old Testament on people. And he's not waiting to go Old Testament on you. He wants to set you free. The Messiah in the scripture was something quite different Something quite different than what they expected. And this is exactly why Jesus offended pretty much everyone he came into contact with. He offended the religious leaders who were hung up on the honorific titles and, the, and impressed with the pomp and tinsel of their religion. Their God was the God of procedure. The God who placed onerous and heavy burdens on the people to carry. Jesus offended them because he came to set the captives free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, his grace. Jesus also offended casual followers. Remember all the droves of people who showed up and said, um, hey, Jesus, it was great that you uh, multiplied the fish and the bread those two times. Could you do that again? And Jesus said, you did not follow me so that you could partake, so that you could commune with me. You came and sought me out because you got your bellies filled with the bread and the fish. And Jesus said, you can have the bread and the fish. You can have it. But guess what else you get? You get the flesh and the blood. What? Yeah. I'll provide for you. But I'm also calling you to communion through my shed blood and my broken body. You can have the fish and the bread, but you also need the flesh and the blood. I don't want that, Jesus. And they all split. And they didn't want that part. They didn't want a broken Savior, a suffering Messiah, a Savior who enters our suffering, redeems it, and then cleanses us through his own. No, they wanted fish and bread. They wanted a sword, not a shepherd's staff. They wanted political liberation and not personal transformation of heart. And Jesus offended all of them, and he also offended his closest followers. Remember Peter? Well, Peter is indignant. He has just been told he's hot stuff. Peter's a rock. He got it right. He answered the question right. And now Jesus is talking about going to the cross and becoming the sacrificial lamb for humanity, suspended between heaven and earth. And Peter's like, what in the what? No, you ain't. And he gets up in Jesus' face, a posture that a Talmud or a student never takes with a rabbi. And he says, you are not going to the cross. And he tries to talk Jesus off the ledge. Remember that? And Jesus says, take your proper place and get behind me, student. Get behind me, Satan. What Jesus was saying is, 
Get away from me, all you false Christs, all you false visions of what Messiah ought to be. You think I'm going to wield a sword? No. I've come to set you free from your captivity to sin. So when Jesus comes riding in in Matthew 21, we find Jesus riding into town in Matthew 21, everybody gets a bloody nose and a fat lip. Confrontation immediately with the religious. And when they step back, they say, oh, we got to do something about this guy. And when you read from Matthew 21 up to Matthew 26 and Matthew 26, here was the conclusion. We must get rid of him. And that is exactly what we do. When Jesus doesn't meet our expectations, when he's not the Jesus we think he ought to be, what do we do? We get rid of that Jesus. Well, we get rid of the Jesus who has a scandalous, scandalous truth that he is God's own voice in the flesh. But we get rid of the Jesus who calls us and says, you must partake of the flesh and the blood. You must partake of my sufferings and I will enter yours. We don't want that Jesus. We don't want the Jesus who calls us and has costs and demands. We don't want that Jesus. What the Jesus we want is the Jesus who placates us. So let me ask you a question today. Which Jesus have you bought into? Hopefully most of you have bought into the Jesus in the New Testament. The Lamb of God, the Son of God, who takes away the sins of the world. He takes away your sins. He liberates you from captivity to sin. But if you've bought into the prosperity Jesus who wants to give you the American dream, I want to challenge you today. Dump that Jesus. If you bought into the magical Jesus who responds to faith formulas, or maybe it's the magical Jesus who really just kind of wants to bless everything you put your hand to. Nope. Wrong Jesus. If it's the hippie postmodern Jesus who just wants everyone to get along. He just doesn't want us to ruffle anyone's feathers with all this talk about truth and stuff. Wrong Jesus. Maybe it's the chiseled, nipped, and tucked Hollywood Jesus. Wrong Jesus. Or how about the Old Testament Jesus who sends you frogs and a pestilence every single time your scales weigh heavier to sin than righteousness. Wrong Jesus. You see, they don't exist Jesus is the son of Abraham. He was born in the line of Abraham. He is the son of David, born in the line of David. And he came to this earth as the son of God and God the son. And he is the lamb, as John said, who takes away the sins of the world. And so why Jesus brought John the Baptist into the conversation in Matthew 21 is exactly that reason. Because John said he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they didn't want that Jesus. So which Jesus do you want today? Which one are you after? Jesus told the religious who had false views of the Messiah that they needed to believe and repent. Two things. You did not, he said, believe and repent. It's really that simple. We put our faith in Jesus. We put our faith in the Messiah, the world's true Messiah, God's Messiah. And then we repent of our sins. We repent of living apart from him. We repent of all we were and become all he wants us to be. And he says, the rotten tax collectors, the swindlers, the sinners, the thieves, those, that gaggle of scoundrels, they are coming into the kingdom before you religious folks who don't think you need repentance, who don't think you need confession of sin. They're coming in first. Take a few minutes to pray with you, okay? You may be here uh, this morning and... Thinking to yourself, yeah, I kind of like to get to know that the real Jesus. I've believed in, you know, I've had a personal relationship 
with my Lord and Santa Jesus. You know, I mean, you, you've believed in a false one. You want to dump him today. I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you're a wife visiting with the husband or a husband visiting with your wife. And you don't come to church that often, but you'd really like to get to know this Jesus who's not some two-dimensional cardboard cutout in a children's story, but the real Jesus of history who died and sent his Holy Spirit to come and live in you right now. Why don't you pray with me? Pray something like this, okay? Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner, and I confess my sin. I own it. I have been far from you, and I haven't had the right conception of you. And right now, I repent of my sin And I believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day and he is my savior. And I confess that right now. And from this moment forward, I'm his disciple. I'm his follower. I'm a believer in Jesus. Maybe some of you here today and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know. I'm a believer. I definitely believe in the right Jesus, but uh, I kind of like to get him to know him better. Will you pray something like this? Father, I just want to get to know you better. I just want to get to know your son better. Will you, by the Holy Spirit, Lord, reveal Jesus to me? Reveal this Jesus who came for sinners. This Jesus who came rejecting religion and declaring the year of the Lord's favor and jubilee and freedom. Reveal him to me more, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so now Jesus wasn't a professor, but I am, so I have a homework assignment for all of you. (laughs) This week, it's Passover week, it's uh, Palm Sunday starts today, and we'll be celebrating Easter next week, I cannot wait. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Read between Matthew 21 and Matthew 26, or Matthew 27, up to where Jesus is crucified. Read about that Jesus, who came to confront wrong-headed religion, who came to bring sinners, rotten, dirty, rotten sinners, just like you and just like me, back to the kingdom and the Father's household, okay? Read about that, Jesus. Will you do that? All right, God bless you. Let's take the offering, and we're going to worship one last time. I just want to thank Pastor Jeff again. Give it up for this guy. Great work today. Thank you, Jeff. What kind of Jesus are you serving? Who do you believe he is? That's a great question, and I hope you go this week looking for the real Jesus. If you begin your life as a Christ follower today, I want to encourage you to tell somebody, come tell me, or Pastor Jeff, we want to get to know you and walk with you. Uh, on the tables, by the exit doors, there's a packet that says for new believers on it. It's got a Bible, some material to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Please pick one of those up. Guys, we have, uh, I checked, several hundred of these cards still left. I want them all gone. <laughs> So pick up a bunch of them, take them, give them away, slip them in your, you know, bosses, mail, I don't care. Just find a place to get it out there and grab one of those. And we still need about 20 people to sign up, at least to help us with Easter. You can see those tables, the big yellow tables in the back. God bless you guys. See you at Easter next week. Thanks for coming today.